0: Listening to the Clambake, a KBGA podcast, with your host Madeline Broom. Thanks for tuning in to KBGA Missoula 89.9. My name is Madeline Broom, and I am the host of the KBGA podcast, The Clambake. We are back from our little summer hiatus and are excited to bring you community voices from around Missoula. Join us every week by tuning in Saturdays at 2 p.m. on KBGA 89.9 FM or find the podcast online at kbga.org or by going to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This week, I sat down with Erin Castellanos with the Latinx Student Union based here at the University of Montana. We talked about her experience moving from Los Angeles to Missoula for grad school, the resulting culture shock, and the community she has come to know with the Latinx Student Union. We also talk about her upcoming event kicking off Hispanic Heritage Month, Intro to Latinx Ethnobotany, which will be on Thursday, September 17th at the UM Flat. You can check out the Facebook event to RSVP or attend virtually. Now, here's my conversation with Erin. So do you just want to start off by introducing yourself um, and maybe the organization that you're with? Sure. Um,
1: My name is Erin Castellanos. I am currently the PR slash historian chair for the Latinx Student Union at the University of Montana. Um, I just started this position this summer, but for the most part, I've been really involved with most of the ongoings um, in terms of representation on campus. Uh, I myself am a graduate student in the environmental studies program with a focus in environmental education. So I felt as though this organization was the perfect next step for me.
0: Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit um, about um, what... LSU does. Um, and just for anyone listening, um, at least when I'm speaking, I'll probably shorten Latinx Student Union to LSU uh, just for brevity. But yeah, that is, that is what we're talking about. So um, I guess for anyone unfamiliar, um, what do they do kind of on campus? Um, and how did, you, how did you hear about them?
1: So, LSU got started um, last year. We're currently in our second year, which is incredible because they've done so many awesome events so far um, within their very short time span, and especially with all these new COVID challenges. It's been really interesting what it's slowly transforming into, Um, but uh, LSU is an organization that is really focused on representation of the Latinx student body at the University of Montana. Some of their events have included um, Loteria Nights, um, some food gatherings, but we probably won't have any this semester. Maybe, we'll see. But um, yeah, so it's mostly on making a community and uh, allowing others to really understand what the Latinx student, students are all about at the University of Montana and it's a really great thread into what the Black Student Union is doing and what the Pacific Islanders Club is doing. Um, So us as Latinx identifying individuals really just wanted to get in there with saying hey we're here and we're a part of this University of Montana community.
0: Yeah because I would say um you know, I think there's a lot of erasure that happens on campus, you know, people say, like, um, you know, oh, we're a predominantly white campus, and I think that a lot of people, um, you know, think that gives them an excuse not to think about, um, you know, some of the minority groups on campus when, um, sometimes I think the truth might be the exact opposite, you know, because there's so few we maybe should be, uh, thinking about it more so because, you know, they don't necessarily have the numbers. Yeah, it's, it's
1: really interesting. I think I really found out about LSU through the flyers that were around and I kind of thought the whole idea of it was really cool because yeah, that was something I used to do um, at my family parties. We would play Lotharien. Um, You know, it's a Mexican form of bingo for listeners that don't know. Um, and you play with pinto beans as your markers. And it was just something that was so much fun. And it, it's just something from my childhood that I was really appreciative to see. But aside from that, I think me learning more about the organization came from a vent session with one of my, one of my advisors. Um, she's also a person of color so it was great for me to just like talk to somebody about like my frustrations of feeling like I was always the token individual in so many situations and so um, kind of just having that comfort of community of her going I totally understand and you were feeling this way I think you need to speak to more people that also feel this way. So that's really where I leaned on finding the LSU community.
0: Well, I think that's a great um, transition into talking maybe a little bit um, about where you moved um, to Missoula from and kind of that experience um, of coming to Missoula.
1: Um, Yeah, so as you know, um, I. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. And so I I guess living there my entire life in the heart of it all. Um, My grandmother moved to Los Angeles when she was 22 and my paternal grandmother moved there when she was 16. Um, So in many ways, that was kind of always in every corner. That was something that was just so marked, benchmarked by it being a significant part of my family's migration story to the Americas. So, um, and everyone else was similar there too because most people there were immigrants from Mexico or where you know wherever they were coming from. So we all kind of had this shared story of understanding that we are Los Angeles and we were very much Californians. And Californians are people that don't necessarily aren't necessarily from America, but we're, we're in this like huge, like mosaic of a country. And so I remember in my grade school, I only had about two white kids in it. And even to this day, they, they stick with me because they were the only non people, the only people that weren't of color. And it wasn't something that we were, I guess, used to as kids. Um, I guess you could say, but yeah. And then I never necessarily felt like a minority living there because everyone looked like me. Everyone spoke a different language and it was really interesting moving to Missoula and then seeing a lot of different eyes on me and getting asked very frequently, um, what are you? That was a brand new question that I really, it, it took me a second to consider what they were asking me and realizing that oh, they're trying to figure out what my ethnicity is so that they can determine how they will then treat me. Um, But I get a lot of frustrated individuals because I guess I'm quote unquote ethnically ambiguous. So they can't tell right away whether I'm Native American, whether I'm Hispanic, whether I'm Indian, um, whether I'm Pakistani is another thing I've been questioned to my lineage but to be honest like being growing up Mexican you don't know we're just kind of mutts too because um growing up in Mexico colonizers came and my last name Castellanos it's it's a Spanish last name but my family in many ways is very indigenous as well and my family came from like a very small town in Mexico um where there were no roads but now we're so, like super American and I mean, my dad's a, a veteran, so whatever that means, you know, we definitely altered in that retrospective of what our identity is. So when people ask, what are you? I kind you know, like I, I can respond American, but then I get the more prodding questions, I guess of, well, you didn't answer my question and you know exactly what I mean. Like answer my question. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's like, why does it matter to you who's going to talk to me for, like, five minutes? Um, you know, if you stick around and get to know me, you'll probably <laughs> learn, you know, who I am and stuff. Well, it's, more it's natural. Natural. in a more natural That's way, like, or not in an invasive way. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting that that is a
1: determinant, too, of what my whole identity is then because then I'm the super eccentric and spicy Latina you know um I don't know like that's that's another thing too that I get it's like oh like of course you're like a lot of qualifiers as well that come with labeling myself as um Mexican and my parents have that quandary as well because they will tell me no you are not Mexican because um you weren't born in Mexico. You're American. Like your grandparents are Mexican. What it means to be Mexican is to be born in Mexico. And so it's really interesting to have to call myself that and then never really identify with it unless I'm talking about like my, my lineage, where my grandparents came from. Because really, I've, I've only been to Mexico like twice ever in my life. And one of them was, yeah, to go with my grandparents back to their um, hometown. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't go until I was nine. It wasn't a huge part in many ways of, I don't know, of my upbringing, even though I grew up speaking Spanish. But it wasn't anything that I ever really thought was weird or (laughs) something that would then, as I grew
0: up, would be... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I wonder, um, what impact, you know, growing up in a very, um, I mean, the word that comes to mind is diverse community, uh, where you maybe not asked questions such as, you know, what are you and stuff. Um, that seems like a, like a great environment where you can grow up, um, you know, uh, possibly you know accepted and stuff and and um not having to deal with such of those offensive comments until um you're older and you maybe uh, i mean i don't think we ever really know how to deal with them, but uh, at least you're not in this stage um you know i'm i'm looking back at when I was you know like twelve thirteen and still really trying to figure out who I was, Um, and I imagine that if I was getting those types of questions that you've mentioned you've gotten here in Montana, um, you know, at 12 or 13, that would have a really huge impact on me. I mean, it would have a huge impact on me um, in my 20s as well, Um, but definitely um, different. Yeah, and I think,
1: um, so I was brought up in East Los Angeles, which was a little bit more rugged, I guess, than other parts of the country. Um, But I lived there until I was in about the third grade. Then I moved to a suburb outside of Los Angeles. It's about 25 miles out, um, called West Covina. And in the suburb, I guess I first really realized that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily look like East LA. Um, And that, that was like my first taste of the whole uh, social inequities that were happening within Los Angeles as well, um, which is what really prompted me to come back to school because ideally what I'd love to do with my community in Los Angeles is to bring back environmental educational standards and um, really revise a lot of those. And so I think that was a big issue that I saw in the forefront of things was kids in richer suburb areas were getting an education that was a thousand times more valuable than ones in inner cities and pe- people of color were mo- more likely to be there. And Los Angeles in itself is the second largest county, uh, school county in the country. So if you're looking at districts, New York is number one and LA is number two. Um, big representations of people of color, and we're not getting the environmental education that I feel is really necessary. Um, so I think with that all like going on in my little young mind, I, I don't know, I kind of really leaned on my connection too with my community and wanting to strengthen
0: them
1: and them really make jobs like um, conservation jobs more accessible as well, or even more familiar um, to students or just having people of color in these jobs I felt was really important. So I think even within Los Angeles, there was this, this separation and social inequity, which is when it really dawned on me and you really didn't, I really didn't have to leave Los Angeles to see that, but I think it was way more impactful once I left and saw how many awesome jobs were available in these fields. And so, yeah, I just, but going back to your question, I definitely do think I was lucky enough to be surrounded by a loving community. And also, I don't know, I'm very close to my family. And sure, a big part of that is huge Hispanic families in general. I have like more cousins than I can even count. Um, But you know, within that, we all lived relatively close to each other, they're all in Los Angeles, so at the end, at the end of the day, I always, you know, had my family there, and I feel a little bit more separated here in Montana, 16 hours away driving, but yeah, it's, it's easy to contact them via phone, but still not the same.
0: Yeah, I kind of, um, identify with that last part. Um, I live, yeah, about 17 hours, um, the opposite direction, (laughs) uh, pretty much straight east. Um, my family's all in Minnesota. Um, I'm very, very lucky. I have some aunt and uncle. I have an aunt and uncle here in, um, in Montana and that's not too, they don't live too far of a drive, but yeah, what what brought you out to Montana? Um, and I don't know this. What did you study in your undergrad? Um, yeah,
1: so I actually majored in political science and communications. I double majored, uh I did a year at the University of San Francisco and then I transferred um to California State Northridge. Um, go matadors. <laughs> but um yeah, I actually started working my junior year of, I guess my third year of college, uh, I was working for an environmental nonprofit uh, as their marketing and communications director. Uh, I didn't start with that job. I s- gradually got there starting as an intern. And I think really diving into that world of the environmental field, especially in Los Angeles is really interesting to just witness how it can be so glamorized and very celebrity focused um, when that isn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing um, because I think my passions really lied within environmental education. So that's, I think, where I first, once I got established there, I really realized that is something that I wanted to then Conquer. Um, But the reason why I really chose Montana was because I mean this city is surrounded by national forests left and right. And there are so many incredible organizations here from the Watershed Education Network to the Montana Natural History Center to the Farmers Programs, the Peas Farm. I mean, there's so many really interesting nonprofits and organizations that are school incorporated. And it's really cool to see how the city just ebbs through everywhere and just kind of is able to influence students in such a really positive way. Um, I mean, I, I was working at the Clark Forks School for most of last year. And I think the way their curriculum is laid out as well, it's it's really interesting to see. And it's it's hopefully something that can be mimicked and copied in a much larger scale like Los Angeles, but that's initially why I chose Missoula is because of all the cool happenings here, and I just think it's really, really fascinating. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, as an environmental studies undergrad, um, yeah, I've always been fascinated by all the organizations. Um, I interned my first year of college um, with Climate Smart Missoula, and, um, I've always told friends home when trying to explain the atmosphere here is I said that a lot of college towns, um, the university kind of makes the town or the university is why people come to the town. And I've always kind of said the town is why people come to the university. Um, the town really makes, makes the university, I think, um, and I think it's why a lot, some students stick around after graduation. And I think definitely at a higher rate, um, you know, than than other schools, especially considering we're surrounded by, um, I guess, if you're talking about, like, population centers, nothing. Um, yeah, we're surrounded by a, a bunch of um, forests and mountains, which is, you know, kind of what brought me out here. Um, it is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, and just...
1: I mean, it is really the perfect place for me to go to school. I feel like there's just enough happening here and shows and music and just things to do that aren't overwhelming. So it's it has like that perfect medium of if I'm getting too focused or bored and involved with schoolwork, I can take a break by doing x y and z and then still come back to this without getting too caught up in that fear of missing out feeling either um because it's, I mean coming from like LA I there was always something happening always someone's birthday party always um someone in town that I had to go see um It was just really overwhelming, (laughs) and so I knew it was not going to be an ideal place for me to go to school. But no, Missoula has been incredible these past few years, Um, and once I get used to the winters, maybe I'll consider staying longer.
0: Oh yeah, I'm lucky. Um, As a Minnesotan, these are um, easier winters for me, Um, (laughs) but the mountain driving um, and driving over the passes can take Uh, a little getting used to. I'm used to um, flat land, very flat. Um, But yeah, and so do you want to talk about a little bit um, about what you've been doing with LSU? Um, Because, you know, as um, welcoming or supportive um, as Missoula and the university is, there's always constant room um, to improve, and as you kind of alluded to, you know, talking with your advisor about your frustrations, um, the mountains are gorgeous, but, you know, the the people can be less so sometimes, and the institutions.
1: Um,
0: yeah, so I
1: was just kind of spitballing, um, thinking about things that were really important for me in my culture and my ability to really connect with home and just things that made, just made me feel at home and grounded me. And so it was just spitballing different things. Like I used to do Zumba with my mom, for example, and that would be like our workout thing. So it was like, oh, like online Zumba. And I was just running things out there. But then after I really started thinking about it and then I said, oh, like what about like some sort of plant talk? Like what about ethnobotany? and so that kind of led me into thinking how my mom used to make me go into the backyard and grab an aloe vera um plant strip it and put it in my hair for like a hair mask and then later use that same gel and use it as a face mask and then later cook that gel and then you know like use it for like pimple like application and it was just like this amazing plant and it was very similar to just a lot of other instances I had in my childhood like with my I mean my grandmother too she was an incredible green thumb um it was just something that was so ingrained in me too that I it was deep down in there and I didn't realize I had all of these little little knowledges of what different plants do until I think I really moved out here and I didn't have those plants on hand but it's it's been really nice to redo this research and kind of find out a little bit more of the history of some of the plants that I've been focusing on. So yeah, we're doing a—I'm doing a talk on ethnobotany and some of my experiences with yerba buena, which is this amazing mint-like plant um, that has was always like my grandmother's cure-all for everything. But um, there's a really fascinating history on that, and also the Latinx influence in ethnobotany and just kind of all of these herbologies. Um, but it's also really fascinating to think about the fact that there hasn't ever been like a Latinx focused ethnobotany talk. Um, uh, there have been really incredible um, Native American indigenous ones that have been really fascinating. And I think that is another thing that kind of opened my eyes to some of the traditional knowledges that I had Um, but like you kind of mentioned earlier, um, there was kind of that erasure, erasure of, um, what is valued as education because I have these traditional knowledges, but I guess I never prioritize them or even some of my grandmother's like pumpkin recipes when she passed away, I lost those because I just kind of always assumed that they'd be there, but now they feel really lost on me and my family because they were things that they used to cure us. I mean they were our little remedies to things. Um, So in many ways I kind of have been wanting to retouch on this and I feel like plants are just such a big part of um, our Aztec roots in this as well. So I think it's a great way for us to kind of kick off our Hispanic Heritage Month which is coming up September 15th. So yeah, that's, that's something I'm really excited to give and I'm really excited to hear some questions and share a little bit more about our amazing plants that are found a little closer to the equator. Uh,
0: yeah, we're pretty far up here from the equator. Um, so uh, and what date is that for? Um, just so in case people would like to um, attend, you are having an in-person and virtual options um, for everyone who wants to assess their own kind of risk.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be um, speaking at the UM flat, um, which is Really close to the university. It's like a block off. Um, it's on
0: Fifth Street Fifth um, near Street. the Adams Center if anyone um, has any problem. But if you Google UM Flat, um, you'll probably be able to find an address you can plug into your phone.
1: Yeah, and um, due to COVID regulations, we have limited seating. Um, but we really hope that you find our Facebook, which is um.lsu. Um, and RSVP to the event so we can kind of guess how many chairs we'll need for the event. But um, if you can't make it or if you want to join us virtually, there's also a link on that event on Facebook, so you can go ahead and join that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the talk will also be recorded, so your Free to watch it later. We'll be posting it on our Facebook. And can you shout out the date quick? Yes, it is September 17th at 5:30 p.m. And that's a Thursday, right? That is, yep, that's on a Thursday.
0: Yeah, it's eight, well, it's eight days from when you and I are speaking. Um but it'll be a little less than that from when <laughs> from when people are listening. So I think maybe with some of the student unions, um, you know, kind of going back to uh, the fact that we're on a predominantly white campus and a predominantly white community, um, you know, you're obviously going to have to uh, encourage some of those people to attend your events. And I think, um, you know, I mean, speaking from a white person's perspective, um, I think sometimes people aren't sure what kind of spaces they're they're welcome into, you know, trying to respect, um, you know, saying, you know, like saying a community being like, this is our space, we're creating this for ourselves. Um, But you do want to share this knowledge, um, you know, to other Latinx folks for sure, um, but also to non-Latinx folks. Um, So can you share maybe your thoughts on people attending who don't identify um, as Latinx or didn't grow up um, with that culture around themselves?
1: Yeah, um, so I think having this event at the flat, we really wanted it to be a welcoming experience. Um, we could have chose to have done it fully online, but I think in person, um, especially given the space, would be, is an incredible opportunity. and. I'm really happy of the friendships that I've established with the fl- the flat residents, the flat teens. I don't know if flat that's their, their term, but- They say flatmates. The flatmates. I know have hosted a lot of these talks as well, um, but I think they've also been very welcoming and accepting of all different types of people there. Um, so just in the community that they've built in themselves, I think it's a great introduction as well to the LSU to the EVST world. Um, it abridges it so well, and yeah, I think not to use buzzwords, but synergy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just so great, um, and I feel like in many ways these are my two worlds colliding because I'm in the EVST program and I'm in the LSU. So. For me these were just they just work so well together and uh we would definitely love to share more of what we know with in um with anyone that wants to come it's mostly of just allowing people to really get to know our influence in a lot of these realms because we haven't necessarily been represented so in many ways it's it's really great to have an event like this where Latinx really shine. And this is kind of like, I know this is at least like my jam of like stuff that I'm all about. So it's, it'll be great to see as many people as we can show up online and we'll see how many people come in person.
0: Yeah, well, um, I'm hoping I do have to look at my schedule, but I hope to, um, tune in online or catch that recording, um, that you mentioned, so um, Hispanic Heritage Month, does that start in the middle of the month then and go um, into October then? Yes, it does. And we're really hoping to um,
1: have more uh, more talks like these um, throughout that month. Um, but given that we just kind of had our first meeting not too long ago and we're still trying to find the new norm with all of the covid goings ons and um, a lot of new chair members, a lot of new board members and trying to find a new advisor. There's just been a lot of, I don't
0: know what word I'm
1: trying to think of, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe chaos seems to be um, a word of the times. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as a student myself, I'm affiliated with many different student organizations. Um, there's always a lull over the summer um, as we all take a break from classes and think about something else for a little bit. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's always a bit of a, a bit of a lag. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's just
1: finding our our flow all together yeah. and just figuring out how we work together as well. but virtually, I think is the big um, problem is we've all been exhausted being on our screens all day and now we have to socialize on screens, um, which isn't the best way to socialize. Um, but um, there are a few talks, as I was saying, this upcoming um, month for Hispanic Heritage Month that we are really looking forward to and that we are hoping come together. But as we solidify them, we will be rolling them out. So stay tuned. And I think they should be really opening and great yeah, they sound like they're going to be awesome. And yeah, I'm really excited.
0: So, um, yeah, so people should be checking. You better like the Facebook page so you can, uh, see when those events pop up. Um, that's about the only thing I use Facebook anymore for. If they made their own event app, that would make my life, um, so much better. (laughs) Um, so, have you had, like, a history of, of celebrating, um, Hispanic heritage judge, like, personally, um, um, or, or, I guess, what a, what is your relationship to that, um, because, you know, I'm a queer person, and, um, we also have a month, <laughs> um, June, and it seems, um, a little weird to sometimes be assigned a month. Um. in some po- times you're like, yes, finally I get to be, you know, as expressive as I've wanted to be all year, but in some other times, you know, it almost feels like you're being forced to kind of uh, put on a show. Yeah. for them.
1: So I've never really felt like I needed it, but then again, I, I came from LA, so everything I did was kind of in, ingrained in my culture. I mean, just going to visit my uncle and like speaking him in Spanish and joking around with him and watching like USA versus Mexico and then teasing him about how Clint Dempsey is a thousand times better than you know his players um but (laughs) I just yeah I I felt like I never needed that because I never had any separation from my culture it was really in everything that I did and it was never something that I had to take a second I never had to think about it um but Here, living in Montana and Missoula, I think it's super important for me to, in a way, be more expressive about it and have events like this where I am speaking on my culture. And um, the LSU put on an amazing event that I was not a part of last year where they spoke in front of um, high school students. I believe it was Sentinel High School Um, And it was just a talk on why this fear of Mexicans coming to America shouldn't be something that should be feared. And so I think having those conversations are really important because many times um, I currently work as a teacher. I am the only Mexican teacher a lot of these students have ever, like I'm their first Mexican teacher. So they're very confused about that. And so I think in just having these conversations on what it means to be Latin, Latinx. Um, this is kind of the month that highlights that and it kind of gives us a little bit more authority in wanting to speak on it um, versus it kind of getting lost in all the other events that may take place. Um, I think this will just give it a little bit more eyeballs and notoriety of this is why you should be listening right now.
0: Yeah, these conversations are always happening. These events are always happening, but um, sometimes um, designating yourself a month or have or putting you know that kind of label on it. Um, and I should mention, it's not that LSU created this month. Um, it is observed um, at least nationwide, um, you know, informally. Like um, I am, I think uh, you know similar to a lot of other, um, history or heritage months, um, that we see throughout the year, but I do think it, it, um, grabs the attention of people outside the community. It's like, you know what, maybe I should put aside my other things for right now and look at this, um, you know, when maybe other times of the year they, they choose not to put aside. It
1: it fits so well, too, because it's, it's in the fall, um, so it's kind of everyone, well, not everyone, but Mexicans and m- most Latinx, they, they're getting, we're getting ready to celebrate Dia de los Muertos. And um, at the conclusion of October and midway through is kind of the, it, the observations of it begin. So it's, it's kind of like this big buildup to it. And so I don't think the eyes will necessarily be lost until November-ish when all of the big parades end but um yeah we'll see I mean there's that's why I think talks like this could definitely continue I mean I'm focusing on a little bit more summer plants right now but it's because it feels summery to me but I'd love to do a more focused thing on Nocha Buena which is I I don't even know what it's called in English but it's that red red flower the Christmas flower um oh um
0: Oh, my goodness! I can that's see it one. yeah, um, uh, yeah that's what it is. Uh, yeah, points yeah, yeah. So, I, was like, I, I grew up with them, my mom bought them every year, yeah, I was like, no, but there's there's an amazing connection
1: to that plant that I know it it's something that I did subconsciously, where if ever I was going to somebody's home around the holidays, I'd gift them that flower, and it was it's because it's just so tied to like my religion, to my culture, to just, it, it's an amazing plant with so many amazing prop medicinal and traditional properties. Um, so that's potentially another talk around Christmas time. I don't know. So, I mean, there's just a, there's just an endless book of herbs and flowers and plants that I've just used my whole life and never really gave a second thought of, because again, it was second nature and now it's something that's just so much more highlighted and focused, I guess, and something that I realized needed to be spoken about.
0: Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, yeah, especially if you grow up, you know, and you're like, you know, many of the people around you know these things and talk about these things, um, and then you move somewhere else, and you realize um, that that's that's not true for everyone. Uh, not everyone has um, that influence or... Um, you know, that, that knowledge. Um, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, hikama is one of my favorite
1: fruits, and I, luckily, they have it at Orange Street Food Farm, but every time I buy it, the checkout people have to ask me what it is, um, and it always takes them a moment to realize how it's spelled, or sometimes they ask me, like, what is this, like, how do you spell that, <laughs> and then, um, and so, like, just those little things that I realized, oh, yeah, like, I, I feel like Dorothy, like I'm not in Kansas anymore, I'm not in LA anymore, I'm like in the complete opposite, but um, it's, it's those little things that I realize. oh yeah, like even, even just earlier today, my my partner was on the phone with my dad, and they were talking, and my dad said, well, I'm, I'm gonna have some chili beans, and he's like, well, what are chili beans, and we're like, it's, it's just, it's chili, I guess, I don't know, like we were just giving him the recipe for it, and he was just like, oh, so chili, like, I don't know, like, we say it different because Chile, we don't just say Chile because it means like a pepper. like So we have to say the full thing, but it's, it's little things like that that I'm, I'm learning and we're all kind of figuring out. Um, so that's why I think, yeah, again, these talks are really important to have because there's a lot of mixed messages and me not knowing the words to things sometimes how they're said in English because my whole life I've been saying them in Spanish and I forget that they have an
0: English word to them. Yeah. Um well, so I'm looking at the time and it looks like um you know, it's, it's time to wrap up. Um thank you so much for for chatting. Um and before we um drop your sh- socials um and your socials um and remind everybody about the event, um is there I was just going to give you the opportunity if there's anything else you want to say, any anything you want to shout out. Um and then yeah, I think we'll wrap up.
1: Yeah, no, uh, thanks so much for having me. And it's been really great to be able to talk some of these things out because I really do hope that the LSU gets more people interested in their events. Um, And as we figure out what our events will be looking like this upcoming semester, we would love the enthusiasm that we've been seeing so far. Um, And yeah, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at um um.lsu. Our event is at 530 on the 17th of September. Um, And Hispanic Heritage Month ends October 15th. Um, And yeah, if you would like to DM me, feel free to at the um um.lsu Facebook, Instagram page. And if you had any particular questions that you want to reach out to me about, I'm open, so feel free to shoot me any questions or follow up.
0: Thanks for listening to the Clambake. New episodes will be dropping every week. You can listen to us on air kbga 89.9 fm missoula or online at kbga.org find us on your favorite podcast apps such as apple podcasts and spotify this episode was edited and produced by me your host madeline broom thanks to jazar for the music used in the clambake all music was sourced from the free music archive mm-hmm.